Greetings, Australia. Welcome to the Stand Up Australia podcast. Stand Up sits down with a contrarian conversation rebutting the mainstream narrative. Each week, we discuss and deconstruct the most relevant news stories in Australia and around the world that you may have missed during the past week, separate the BS and propaganda so you can make better decisions about which way you want to go politically and personally. Today on the show, corrupt police outed and fabricated cases around Australia, but they've investigated themselves and found no crimes. The Voice, what is it exactly? Why is Elbow trying to recruit sports stars to push, to push it? Australia broke as the world banking system breathes its last breaths. What comes next? Centrelink using the federal police to conduct mass surveillance on people suspected of committing the crime of being in a relationship. The UN seeking vast new powers and stronger global, global governance. Are we witnessing the last days of individual sovereignty and national sovereignty? So we're joined again today by Peter Harris. It's been a while since we had a chat. I think it was in the, the new year in our semi-good news special. <laughs> yeah, well, thanks, Mitch. I, I thought maybe I'd got some things wrong and so I wasn't invited back, but um, <laughs> here I am. <laughs> you must have been today, mate. <laughs> we, we, we've been uh, we've had a few new people on recently from around Australia. It's been it's been pretty cool. So, but yeah, it's good to have you back, and it'll be interesting to hear what's going on at stand up at the moment. Sure. Um, well, th- this uh, this month and next month are what we're calling financial well being months, um, and um, We've got um, a number of um, webinars and seminars, one on uh, residential property investment, um, one on uh, Warren Black will be talking about how to preserve your wealth and finance and dodge the government bullets. Um, And um, we are trying to convince a guy who'd be phenomenal for us to get on. Um, He might end up doing it anonymously because he doesn't want to draw attention to himself and fair enough made a squillion dollars in crypto, very, very wealthy guy. Um, And what he thinks is the next thing to get involved in, in terms of um, preserving your wealth. Um, And, uh, you know, a whole lot of um, uh, side interviews and different things. And we'll probably have a financial wellbeing panel at the end of June with a number of uh, people that people can relate to it's going to become critically important financial well-being i noticed there was an article in the australian today um and that article was essentially saying don't get used to full employment because of artificial intelligence and um and uh you know i've I've been getting into and looking at this ai stuff and um there's there's a lot of jobs uh, that are going to be absorbed by computers so I think that is going to be an interesting thing for the future, and we, we might try and cover a bit of that during financial wellbeing, who um, are potentially in the firing line, who isn't. Um, and, yeah, so that's been going on at Stand Up, and also the Community Connect groups that we're running. Um, we are meeting every uh, fortnight online, and there are groups forming around the country. We've appointed um, a great lady, Diane Cubby, as the um, National um, Community Connect Coordinator, and she's working with individuals to bring Community Connect to their local areas. Um, and, yeah, there's there's always a truckload of things happening at Stand Up, and it's just a matter of having the resources to introduce and get everything done. Um, but 
you know, we're in the quiet of the storm at the moment. Um, there are a lot of things coming down the track at us and uh, things that we need to be aware of, things that we need to prepare for, and um, that's that's the program we're working towards. Well, yeah, a lot of stuff, and, yeah, I think you're right. We are essentially in the eye of the storm, and looks like you just missed being in the eye of the storm up there in WA too, but the actual storm. Um, but, yeah, I think you're right. Now's the time to act. Um, just going back to what you are saying about AI as well. well yeah. I, and time to prepare. And yes, act. definitely, yeah. definitely. Sorry. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, not at all. Um, yeah, just a kid that, that works for me um, keeps boasting how he's using AI to do his assignments for for the uh, potential career he's going to go. And I said, be careful that AI, mate, because the career in, if you can do your assignments, you can do your job. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Exactly. Um, and, you know, I think um, financial well-being actually interacts really neatly with AI in the context that it's really important for people to have options available considering the shift and the changes that are occurring. Um, I mean, there are many people saying that this is the most significant seismic shift in, in the history of mankind that's about to swamp everyone. Um, and, you know... Uh, who knows who knows what all of the consequences and ramifications are going to be so in financial well-being it's really um about um having diversified income streams being prepared for the worst case scenario and uh working out what's important to you um and 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 it might not be the job that you're currently doing but it's about being prepared and at least being informed so that you know what possibilities may occur rather than sneaking up on you like probably COVID did most people. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Living paycheck to paycheck wasn't such a good thing when it hits mm. you like that and you don't have a job and you've got nowhere to support yourself. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Well, let's get into the first story, shall we? Sure. All right. So these two stories are actually coming from Rebel News. Uh, I did try to find them in the mainstream, but Unfortunately, they don't like um, reporting news that's contrary to the mainstream belief. So uh, this first story here is corrupt Victorian police investigate and clear themselves. So there is a video here. It's, it is quite a long one, so I'm not going to play it. Um, but I do sort of encourage everybody to get on the show notes and have a look at this because it's, uh, it's, it's very interesting and also, also very uh, worrying at the same time. But a man who was assaulted by Victorian police is outraged after police investigated their own conduct and declared it was the man's own fault that they bashed him. Jay Smith, not his real name, was arrested and assaulted by police at a Freedom Rally in May last year. He demanded the independent board-based anti-corruption commission, IBAC, investigated police conduct after police dropped charges against him on the day of his trial. However, IBAC advised they did not have the resource to investigate his case. So police were given the task of investigating themselves. So after a two-month investigation of their own behaviour, police advised Smith that it, because he had suffered no apparent or obvious injury and because he had been present at an unlawful gathering, the assault was entirely through the fault of your actions. There you go. Um, here, here for um, freedom to protest and democracy. Um, <laughs> uh, look, the uh, Not in Victoria, of course. Uh, no. Look, 
that whether it was a freedom rally or a um, Black Lives Matter rally or what whatever it was, um, uh, there you know he 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 suffered at the hands of the police. Um, you've always got to worry. You've always got to worry when the people that inflicted the harm are the ones that investigate themselves. And anyone that's even remotely astute um, towards political or government um, investigations always knows that an investigation is never launched uh, unless the answer is known beforehand. Um, so um, the, the reality is, uh, one, IBAC should be given the resources to investigate, although IBAC is still under the domain of the Victorian government, and this is where a national... Um, um, corruption or um, uh, body is is important to investigate the actions of uh, people that can't control the investigation. Um, and you, you just know you're not going to get a fair outcome once the people that perpetrated the crime are investigating the crime. So I don't think it's I don't think it's anything new by the way. I don't think it's anything complex. I think it's what they do all the time. They they whitewash what they've done wrong and move on without consequence. And this is just another one of those same situations. Yeah, it's it's just crazy, isn't it? Because if you think about, say, this guy was, you know, robbing a house or something like that or shoplifting, do you think the cops would beat the shit out of him? Well, he, but even if he fell over and injured himself, he'd make a, um, a public liability claim against the owner of the property. Yeah. You know? So, so the system... This is what happens in a system that is broken. Um, there's no rationality. There's no logic. There's no fairness. Um, and good people suffer at the hands of corruption and a system that no longer serves the people it was designed to cater for or look after. Um, so, you know, um, it protects the thieves, the criminals, and it... Um, and it convicts uh, those people that are just simply trying to have a voice. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 crazy, and it's not the only um, issue we've had here because there's another story by Rebel News as well, which is the Freedom Convoy protester faces decades in jail. And this is a guy called Paul Off who drove a truck during the protest. He faces a potential forty years in jail. While Bruce Pakes, I think that's how you say his name, a former army doctor, was acquitted after a three day trial. So the Freedom Convoy aimed to protest various mandates and restrictions in Australia at the time. Uh, um, Michael Off, Paul's brother, mentioned that during the protest, Paul's truck was separated from the others and he was eventually stopped by the police. The authorities smashed his window and pepper sprayed him. An hour later, Paul was arrested and his truck was confiscated. So this guy drove his truck into the convoy and he was driving very slowly. He was being escorted by the police. And at the last minute, the police decided to step in front of his truck. He couldn't see them, driving very slowly, and now they're charging him for driving his truck at police officers and endangering their lives. There was another guy, Bruce, who I just mentioned before as well. This is all in the video too. These are 10-minute videos. This is why we're not playing them. Yeah. But um, he was charged with four serious criminal offences, carrying total jail time of 10 years. His trial went for three days. The officer's body cam footage was conveniently not working at the time, but he has video of the officers and the offences he was supposed to have committed never happening. So that's why he got off. So he got set up by the feds here. And this is getting absolutely no coverage by the mainstream media at all. Not that I've seen anyway. 
Well, of course, the federal police and police agencies spend a lot of money in the media, so you're not going to print stuff that is going to convict the people that pay your bills. Um, look, you know, the, the, we, we see this all around the world, um, uh, the, these sort of incidents um, and these sorts of claims and uh, of crimes that were never committed. It's great that there's footage um, um, that uh, vindicates the uh, people that have been charged. Um, so you'd hope the justice system um, would um, prevail and um, recognise that the uh, crimes weren't com committed. But what people need to understand is the toll of a charge like this on an individual, whether they're convicted or not, is massive. It, it steals all of their financial resources. It destroys them emotionally. And uh, that's what a lot of these things are designed to do. Pick out people, destroy them. They never recover. And uh, and then as a consequence, to it's designed to dissuade anybody else from participating in having a free voice so it's an anti-democratic thing it's a it's a thing which um is designed to discourage anyone from speaking up and um you know 40 years in jail is a pretty big um sentence when you think about it you know you can you can rip off the uh, tax office for hundreds of millions of dollars and get less time than that yeah it's it's crazy it's just the whole thing about police being this protected species you know, and like in the past, I would have probably said, yeah, no, don't, don't, you know, I, I kind of agree. But the way they've acted over the last little while, they're just, they're no better than the people telling them what to do, really. Well, and and, and that's that's why 35% um, of people don't vote for the major parties. That's why people have lost confidence in the institutions that were designed and uh, uh, activated to protect them is, and, and that's why a, a, a good society like Australia collapses because it, people have lost faith in the system. And the more this stuff happens, the more people lose faith. And it's it's naive of um, these agencies to think that this doesn't ultimately um, come back to bite them because progressively people are becoming more and more and more dissatisfied with what's going on around them. And they're blaming the institutions. They're blaming the government. They're blaming... Um, representatives that they elected um, and as a consequence as people lose faith they begin to uh, stand up and say no more thanks get get out of my life and that's what's happening in Australia right now very slowly but it's happening yeah I mean, we've been warned about this for years I mean I can't remember if it was Ronald Reagan or Richard Nixon who said this quote but he said like you know the most terrifying words you, you'll ever hear is I'm from the government and I'm here to help you know, yeah. and this and this is uh, sort of leads us into the next story as well, which is very. This is the government as well trying to trying to help us. Um, the indigenous voice. We haven't spoken about this yet. I've been hesitant to speak about it because it's just, I just um, I don't know why we haven't really spoken about it yet. I just haven't really thought it's going to be that really very important. But um, it's starting to starting to bug me a little bit, and. This next story is from the Sydney Morning Herald. And it's the Rabbitohs to consult players on voices, PM rally support. So we saw this happen during COVID where they 
rally the support of celebrities, sports stars for the COVID vaccine or to tell people to stay home. I think Andrew Bogut was one person who spoke out about that, said he was offered a lot of money to say, to tell people to stay home during COVID. But Anthony Albanese's beloved South Sydney Rabbitohs say they will consult players before taking a public stance on The Voice, as the Prime Minister says he expects sports stars to get behind the referendum. Albanese told Sky News on Sunday he would be surprised if Australians did not see a range of sporting figures advocating for Indigenous voice to Parliament. AFL icon Adam Goodson, the former NRL star Jonathan Thurston, are among Indigenous stars being discussed as ambassadors. So I'm not sure if you're up with the what's going with The Voice. It's not something I've really paid a lot of attention to, but I'd like to get your opinion on The Voice and what uh, exactly is going on here and why is it getting sports stars to come out in support of it? Well, you know, first of all, let's talk about the principle of the Indigenous people of Australia having a voice. Um, um, that That is an important step forward in this country. The institutions of this country, um, the corporations, um, the land councils um, are, have all been silencing the voice of um, the Aboriginal people on the ground for, you know, ever since Australia was founded. Um, but in recent years, it, it, things have not got any better for the Aboriginal people. And I've been up to the Kimberleys into Warman. I've had a look at the abject policy, uh, poverty that people live in. Um, I have seen what corporations are doing to them to get them to sign documents. They take, you know, the Aboriginal people and elders told me they have their children taken if they refuse to cooperate. You know, there's all sorts of horrific stories when you get out back. Um, and um, the people of Australia have been um, um, led to believe that the Aboriginal people are taking um, all this money out of the system and um, and abusing it and never change. Um, so you know we 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 have we have a huge conflict across our country about the truth about what's really happening and um, what people think is happening. The second thing about um, having a voice um, in Australia is the voice needs to be designed around what the people, the Aboriginal people, want. Um, now, there are many of many people that want to be recompensed by the harm that's been caused. There are many other people that want to have an influence. Um, there are many people that just want to have a normal life and not have to eat frits at 300% the price from um, their local shop in Warman because they can't get to other stores three hours away like Coles where they don't have to pay huge prices for food. Um, so even even though food it generally in Australia has become very expensive. Um, so, you know, the question is, um, if you want the Aboriginal people to have a voice, you've got to give them the right to self-govern. Um, you've got to give them the right um, to make their own calls on how they want to live and, and the decisions they want to make, and you've got to give them a capacity to influence and interact in the system. Now, that that should be how the political system is working, that there's fair representation. Clearly, the Aboriginal people don't feel that they've got fair representation in the parliament, but it might come as a shock. Most Australians don't feel they've got fair representation in the parliament. That is um, shocking. But, most most Australians now recognise that the um, 
that the uh, representatives they vote for represent the interests of the Labor Party or the Liberal Party um, or some other group like the Greens or Nationals. So having a voice is critical. I'm, I'm a great believer in having a voice and uh, um, I'm a great advocate of um, us having a system which brings us all together and unites us once and for all and where we deal with the problems of the past. That's all. That's to me. That's one of the most critical things that can happen in this country because it means we'll grow up and we'll be able to forge our own future and move forward together. Um, so that that's just my initial response to the concept of having a model that works and collaborates and and brings us all together. Uh, the second thing I'll say is the 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 people most guilty of wasting billions, if not trillions of dollars over the generations and the decades. Uh, well, it is trillions because of the way miners have been um, dealt um, sovereign hands. Um, the, um, you know, the, the, the whole problem is you can't trust government to do this. Hmm. Uh, they've always got it wrong. They'll always get it wrong. And um, it will always be biased towards the corporations that control them at the back end. Um, that that's why land councils um, who are meant to represent the Aboriginal people but are funded by government always end up siding uh, with the corporates and never paying the people any money. Um, so anything the government's involved in in this space and, and a lot of other spaces is going to be corrupted. It's going to be uh, it's going to have uh, the wrong in, intent and focus. And um, a sports star is not going to fix that in the mind of Australians. So, you know, of course, you know, he'll have his branding consultants on the logo for The Voice. He'll have his consultants on how to market it and how to do this. And corporate Australia once, made, once again makes a squillion. But it reminds me, it reminds me of a simple scenario um, in in the Kimberleys, where a company, um, Hexagon Mining, were getting people to sign documents through the land council that the people could never read, that the people had no capacity to investigate the documents, they had no capacity to understand the documents, and it didn't take into account anything in relation to their ceremonial and um, uh, ceremonial law and their own Indigenous rights from their own communities. So, you know what? I don't have any faith in a system introduced by Anthony Albanese, the Labor government, the Liberal Party, anyone. I think what's got to happen is we've got to find a pathway forward which uh, empowers the Aboriginal people and enables us to move forward together. And I think that you've got to get the Aboriginal people to spell out what that might look like for them. Yeah, yeah. So do we do you think we need this legislation to come in where we give a voice or do you think this is like a lot of people are saying online in telegram groups and other places that this is more likely to separate um you know our would say two races but Australians and Aboriginals. Oh, it's, it's we are we are the same thing. This is this is where I come from. Like we we are we all should have the same opportunities anyway as Australians. We all should have the same voice 
Um, if it's if it's more of a traditional Aboriginal voice, then I understand. But the way I see it, it's more of like trying to get the Aboriginals to to be part of this corrupt system that we call Australia. Well, see, um, let, let's talk about land rights for a moment, and I don't want to go on for too too long on this, but, um, you know, the um, Indigenous rights to land, under, under the system brought in by Howard, it gives them the rights to go on their lands, traditional landowners, but it doesn't give them any rights, allodial rights, to anything, any of the wealth below the land or above the land. Yeah. So all they do is they go on the land, but they don't have any influence over what happens with the land. The Australian government controls it. And the problem with that is, is that it's not self-governance. Mm. And it's 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 white man governments governance. Yeah. It's 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 the colonial system controlling with the semblance of choice of how these people are meant to behave with resources and assets that belong to them. And we can argue that they belong to the broader community and broader country. I've had countless discussions with Aboriginal elders and leaders, and most of the, those people that I've had discussions with are realistic enough to understand that you can't go back to the original uh, scenario but guess what? We, we can deal with the past and we can move forward together. And if we were moving forward together, we wouldn't let, be letting a few miners strip the country of its wealth every year. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I think you've summed it up pretty well here. This is, in the end, it's a, it's a government problem. It's... <laughs> well, they... the solution is not going to fix the problem the government have created. Yeah, they've created the problem and now they're trying to create a solution for the problem they've created, which is going to That's cause right. more problems. It sounds like a, um, a a pharmaceutical model. Yeah, it certainly does. Problem problem reaction solution. I mean, like yeah. like pretty much every other answer to any question about the government, the answer is less government. Well, it's got to be less government, and it's got to be um, it's, you know you got to you got to create fair platforms um, for people to interact. I mean, we understand in if we live in a community, we sacrifice some freedoms. Um, and to be free is a bit of a furphy because if you were totally free and you wanted to go and kill the person next door, well, that, that's not lawful under our um, regulations that create a free society. So, you know, there, there, there's always compromises in, in, in these areas of freedom. There's always compromises in these areas of self-governance and things like that. But we haven't anywhere near found the best model. Um, you know, and the wealthiest country in the world, Australia, with the wealthiest people in the world that own collectively about $10 trillion worth of property with $2 trillion worth of debt, um, are, are, are not, um, we're not living up or maximizing our capacity because um, we're not working together. There hasn't been a dynamic leader that's brought everybody together and can get everyone to move forward together. So that's what we've got to pray for. We've got to pray for great uh, leadership and great capacity um, to, to bring it all together now because Australia is wallowing um, and surviving because of its wealth, but it's wallowing and not going anywhere and mm. leaving its 
Yeah, so it certainly is. And it's funny you end on that because uh, you've taken us right into the next story, which is about our debt. And it's no easy options, dire prognosis for Australia's bottom line. This is from news.com.au and says, Australia will need to undertake some drastic measures if ballooning $70 billion annual deficit is to be avoided and one state will be hit the worst. Says government spending needs to be drastically cut. Um and taxes will have to rise to prevent a persistent structural deficit, which could see Australia's bottom line sink by around $70 billion a year. A respected think tank has said there are no easy options as to how Australia gets its finances back on track. So um, the Grattan Institute has recommended reducing spending on some um, unnecessary defence and transport projects, axing politicised government ads and abolishing key tax breaks for parents. On the revenue side, GST should be increased. The age people can access the superannuation pots raised and stage three tax cuts rolled back. Now, I found this really amusing this week to read this story because I haven't heard anybody talk about this, about the the plan to raise the the age we can, you know, we can access the superannuation pots. And then you look at you go over to France and you look at Paris right now, which is on fire. Because yeah. of them wanting to raise, well, they have actually passed it through Parliament now, and three days ago, I believe, raising the age by two years. And Australia, we're just like, a, you know, oh, more taxes, oh, we're going to do it somehow. I mean, we could see this coming a mile away at the start of COVID, this printing of money. And it wasn't just COVID. Obviously, the you know, the, the economy has been on its last legs for a while. But to raise taxes and cut spending... Seriously, like what at the moment where everything is so expensive anyway, where's this all leading, Peter? Mm. Well, it's a big, it's a big question. Um, the um, well, first of all, Daniel Andrews needs to get rid of his 500 personal staff if he's concerned about the debt of Victoria. Um, and um, that that would um, begin to eat away at the state debt of Victoria. Um, the look. I, I actually think this is the system imploding on the system. Um, so, so what you've got is the biggest proponents of changing the system, the biggest proponents of a revolution of the people are the people in power today. Okay. Cause they're the ones making the decisions and, yep. and, they try to cover up. They try to lie. They, they they don't they don't try to solve the real problems. Like no one's solving the fuel problem in Australia. They've just people aren't talking about it so much now because cost of fuel's gone down a bit, but it's still bloody expensive. And um and and it doesn't change the fact that we're reliant on fuel from other countries um, to be able to fuel our country. That is a huge national. Um, security issue, huge, massive, and yeah. we don't have capacity to produce our own fuel. So they've been used to making these stupid decisions uh, for generations and decades uh, at a political uh, elite class, and they've also been used to handing over the power to corporations and world agencies um, because that's that's how you, um, you know, that's how you stay in power for longer. If Rupert Murdoch likes you or 
whoever is uh, the owner of media assets um, and, and, and they get favourable treatment, then you'll stay in power for longer. You know, there's, that's why Kevin Rudd was banging on about News Corp. Um, so I think, you know, we, we've got a system which is imploding on itself. Um, the, and, and what we have to do right now is we have to prepare for change. And not just prepare for change, but we have to be the innovators of the change. I, I don't want to go back to the way it was. I want to move forward to a new system. I want to move forward to a fairer system. I want to move forward to a system that maximises the wealth for every Australian. So in doing that, you've got to do things differently. You've got to think differently. You've got to act differently. And they're not acting differently. Um, there's um, a, a very wealthy man, um, Ray Dalio from the US, and he, he's an economic his, um, historian, essentially. Um, he's made billions of dollars out of um, investment by studying history and, and what happens in various um, cycles of wealth and regimes and all these things. And you know, one, one of the things that he, he talks about is the fact that out of all the economic advisors that he knows in the world, and he knows pretty much all of the key economic advisors that advise um, premiers of China and leaders of nations, he says none of them look back historically. None of them actually learn from the past. Yep. And so here we are. We're coming to the end of a cycle. Um, you can't keep printing money without consequence. You can't. Um, you know, and, and then you, on top of this, you've got this technological revolution called AI um, that is so easily corrupted, so easily corrupted. You know, Microsoft is one of the core groups that are leading the AI revolution. Um, and, and you want to trust your future to, to Microsoft? I don't. Um, but, you know, we, we've got to get ahead of this curve and we've got to start thinking about what uh, you know a change future looks like, and how and how communities can work together, and how we can collaborate together, and we can um, um, you know build what's important together. So I'm convinced that um, you know Australia, the wealthiest country in the world, um, will probably be the last nation you know amongst the last nations to really radically fall because. We're pretty comfortable in this country. We're very comfortable in this country, even now, even after all the hardship. And But what it's beginning to do is bubble up through the system as people find it harder and harder and harder to get by. And, um, yes. and, and when people start losing jobs en masse because of AI, when people can't afford to put fuel in the car, um, in the wealthiest nation in the world, when people can't afford to keep their children warm at night, you know, it'll go on and on. Then there'll be, um, then, then the political elite will really know what's happening because they won't have, they won't be getting a few letters. They'll be getting tens of thousands of people marching on their offices and marching on Canberra demanding change. It'll be like the Arab Spring in Australia. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what's happening in the Arab um scenario right now it's a revolutionary group i mean um, they're always revolutionary but during the arab spring it was to do with it was to do with wheat prices so because people yeah. couldn't couldn't afford bread so 
obviously that's that's their standard of living there. They can't afford bread. That's when they start going. But I think it's it's going to be a lot less here um, when we start seeing uprisings on the street. I mean, as we spoke about before, Paris, look what's happening there. And that's just a continuation of the Yellow Vest protests before where they were starting to not be able to afford things because of the ridiculous taxes put upon them. And 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 so the so you just go back to the original point you made reading from the newspaper, right? Oh, let's tax them more. Mm. Let's tax them more. That's a good idea. Let's pay for this through more taxes. And oh, we've got to reduce some costs, so we've got to look as though we're doing our part. But sooner or later, that gig runs out. And sooner or later, the people stand up and kick their asses. And when I say kick their asses, they normally, you know, it's normally pretty bad ass kicking that goes on. And yes. um, and just look at economic history. You can't, you can never, ever ultimately defeat the people. Yeah, well, when you're looking at uh, the state of affairs right now, you've got the US at, I think, 58% of the population is living paycheck to paycheck. That's the latest stats to come out, which was a... a, a um, a, a study that was done very, very recently. And I've got another story here from The Age, which shows that uh, desperate shoppers use buy now, pay later for groceries and petrol. So rising numbers of Australians are losing their entire pay packets to wage advanced companies as they struggle to repay debts after using buy now, pay later as services to buy groceries and petrol. Do you think these people are going to be able to afford to pay more taxes on top of that? Um, well, you know, this is, uh, let me call this a leading indicator of a revolution. Mm. <laughs> yeah. A leading indicator. Because you know what? When they can't they can't get any more credit and they can't buy the stuff they need, um, then things really turn bad. And if that's where this country's at right now, as one of the wealthiest countries in the world, my God, what's happening elsewhere? And yeah. um and we're going to see country after country after country um, begin to stand up and say, we're not doing it this way anymore. And Australia will get caught up in that. But, you know, when people, when people can't afford to do the basic things and they're working two to three jobs a week, um, they revolt. They, they stand yep. up. Um, and that's, and, you know, if people are using, what's, what's, what is it? Um, What's it called? Um, pay. Oh, pay now. Buy now, pay later. Buy now, pay later. Yeah. Using that just to live for their daily, everyday living, um, it's uh, that's a sure sign. It's a leading indicator of massive problems to come, and not only problems for people that um, are struggling, but problems for people that have got it together, because um, you know domestic security is going to become a nightmare as well. And so I think that, you know, what we need to do, and this is why we're doing Community Connect and Stand Up, we need to rally together. We need, we need to be packs of people that have that got each other's backs, that are looking after each other, that are thinking laterally, that are thinking about, you know, what, how do we get through a, a period of turmoil because that period is very much on its way. And, um, and if, if, if we're acting together, if we're working together, and we've we've got each other's backs together, um, then it becomes a very very powerful opportunity to influence how the future looks. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and the governments themselves have their own way of of dealing with this crisis because this is 
all going to end up in the introduction of a CBDC, the Central Bank Digital Currency, which we've spoken at length about probably every week for the last six weeks on this podcast. Um, but like you said, we need to get together as communities and start thinking beyond the government in a parallel society way because they're not going to solve it. And CBDCs are not you know, set in stone right now. Um, we spoke about a chat with the fake Zelensky the other day with the um, uh, with we got no name for some reason the ECB president. So and what? Whilst you're looking at that, I'll tell you this guy that I want to interview. Hopefully, he'll let us interview him. He says. Never trust anything going forward that relies on the internet. And how can they even be talking about a digital currency when Latitude Finance can't even protect its records? Like Australia Post and all these other organisations, not Australia Post, but Coles and, um, and uh, you know, banks and big organisations cannot protect their data. They're not clever enough to be able to outwit the multitudes that are out there trying to bring them down. So um, anything that relies on, on, on the internet or some form of digital identification is going to collapse because people attack it and very smart people attack it and we shouldn't trust it. No, we shouldn't trust it because um, this is the plans they've got for us. I'm going to to share this with you. And this was uh, a video that was done by a couple of, um, I'll just share my screen. Here we are. A couple of pranksters in the, in Russia, you've probably seen them with a few other world leaders, but. But you know what, what they're saying with AI is that so many people are going to become unemployed that we're going to have to have a universal basic income. That, that's being talked about amongst the AI people right now. Let's have a look at this. This is Christine Lagarde. Um, yeah. Wonderful woman. Yeah. <laughs> so she, she thinks she's speaking to Vladimir Zelensky. And this is what she had to say. I'm user of Bitcoin too. So I had bought it uh, when it started. And uh, I, I hope that uh, it also will work in through the special system and uh, i know there are many protests in europe uh, against uh, the electronic euro uh, mm -hmm. what is the reason you know it's it's the beauty of europe it has different uh, positions if you ask in northern europe for instance uh, in the netherlands they're quite happy to see the e euro coming if you ask a young German um, man, he'll say, yeah, fine. Mm. As I said, I don't want Meta, Google or Amazon to suddenly come up with a currency that will take over the sovereignty of Europe. I don't want a foreign currency to become the currency of trading within Europe. So we have to be ready. No, the problem is they don't want to be controlled. Uh, they don't want to... Uh... Yeah, but you know what? You know what? Now we have in Europe this threshold above 1,000 euros, you cannot pay cash. If you do, you're on the grey market. 
you take mm -hmm. your risk. You get caught, you are fined, or you go in jail. But you know, the, the, the digital euro is going to have a limited amount of control. There will be control, you're right. You're completely right. Mm -hmm. We are considering whether for very small amounts, you know, anything that is around 300, 400 euros, we could have a mechanism where there is zero control. But that could be dangerous. The terrorist attacks on France uh, back uh, 10 years ago were entirely financed by those very small anonymous credit cards that you can recharge in total anonymity. Mm -hmm. So, as you see there, like this new digital currency, I think she's stopped short of really saying what it's about um, fully, but she admits that it's about control and it's about limiting spending on how much you can actually spend. Even now, she just said it was, what was it, 1,000 or 2,000 euros? Anything over that's a crime. You can be imprisoned or fined for spending anything more than one or two thousand euros in cash. Mm. Well, so it's always been about control. Um, um, they've controlled humanity through um, the currency system, um, and this is just uh, another form of it in digital currency. But this way, um, it. You know, it just completely strips a person of any right to spend, as she said, even small amounts of money if they want controls. So humanity's got to make a decision. At what point does it give up? What point do you give up your sovereignty in, in its entirety? Living in a democratic society, you give up some elements of sovereignty as a person because you've chosen to participate in a society. Um, but at what point do you say, they're going to control everything in my world. They're going to they're going to have a vaccine um, passport on me or a vaccine certificate. I can't spend any money. Once you can't spend money, you're crippled unless you've got a different trading system, and um, and that's what we have to do. We have to create for the crisis a different trading system. That's why a lot of people that have used a lot of digital currencies are going back to precious metals. Um, and not just gold, but lots of precious metals, because they see that um, they can they can trade in those precious metals. Now that that's taking society back hundreds of years, going back to trading in precious metals. And I'm I'm not suggesting that we're we're going to end up there. But let me tell you, um, if they try to control um, humanity with these digital currencies and mechanisms. Um, they've got a very rude shock coming, and it and it and it re, it reiterates what I said right at the beginning, um, or or uh, at some point is that the 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 biggest perpetrators of a revolution are going to be the incumbent elite political class who think they can control the people. Yeah. Yes, definitely. We need to work our way around that. Um, I've I've got. Every day this stuff happens, by the way, the more people become aware. You know, like, I can't tell you how many people we've talked to that are pulling their kids out of the education system. Um, and it's a very simple thing. Do you, do you trust the government to educate your kids for the future? The answer is obviously no. No, it's not education. It's indoctrination. So That's right. I do not trust that. I think about it every day as a parent now. Like we homeschooled for a while, but we're, our kids are back in school at the moment just because 
to be honest, it, it, in this economy, it's hard to make ends meet. And that's part of the problem. I think it's part of the, the actual sort of generated problem from the government. Once again, problem, reaction, solution. You don't have time. You need to be out earning money. Your kids can be in school. And we can teach them the way of the world. And you know what? We, we're going to find ways to use AI to benefit, benefit our local communities and, 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 and those sorts of things as well. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, the world is evolving. Humanity evolves. Um, and it goes through periods of crisis and periods of prosperity. Um, so what we've got to do during the crisis is find out the model and work out the model for prosperity going forward. And, and inevitably, it's without the people that are controlling everything right now. Yeah. And that would be the – I mean, a lot of that's the banks, isn't it? So – and their influence over the government – um, I did want to play this video because I think it's really sure. in, important to, for people to really understand how the banking system works and why we're in the situation we're in right now. It's a little bit longer, so I'm going to put it on 1.5 speed, but you'll still be able to hear it because he is quite a slow speaker anyway. Cool. All three of the Abrahamic religions teach that lending to the poor is an act of compassion that serves the entire community and therefore charging interest was seen as immoral. It was called usury and was considered a heinous crime. The Roman Empire allowed usury, but in 1179, the Catholic Church decreed that usury was forbidden. This law did not apply to Jews. While the Torah admonishes usury, Talmudic law allows a Jew to practice usury with a non-Jew, and so money lending became primarily a Jewish business. Over the years, usury became more accepted in Western society, and we've changed the definition with the addendum of charging interest at an excessive rate. In the 17th century, the Bank of England began issuing paper fiat money. This gave the banks the ability to simply print money out of thin air. And for over a century, this was rightfully called out as fraud until it became public policy, known now as fractional reserve banking. What was once seen as immoral is now seen as normal. Many assume that the financial loans given out by the banks are coming from savings they hold for their depositors. But this is not true. When someone takes out a loan, the bank creates new money out of thin air and then charges the person interest to borrow it. Fractional reserve banking allows the banks to legally create 10 times the amount of each deposit. This inflating of the circulating currency devalues that currency and allows the banks an opportunity to profit dramatically. The Federal Reserve Act of 1913 began a system of debt designed to inflate beyond its means until it implodes, the exact opposite of sound money. The banking cartel funded both sides of World War I, which led to the Great Depression, which led to the Emergency Banking Act of 1933 which ended the gold standard and made every dollar spent an IOU to further increase the debt, which is ultimately owed by the American people. The banking cartel funded both sides of World War II, which led to the Bretton Woods monetary system, which made the USD the world reserve currency and gave central banks the option to go straight to the gold window of the US treasury to exchange US dollars for physical gold. But by endlessly creating more debt, it became clear that the US had printed far beyond their gold reserves. And when several nations came to collect their gold, the federal government dishonorably closed the gold window. To maintain world reserve currency status, the US turned to its military, guns for hire to Saudi Arabia in return for the petrodollar, and war with any nation who threatens USD dominance. A Ponzi scheme is an investment fraud that pays existing investors with funds collected from new investors. And that's what the bankers created. They profit exponentially off the people's debt. It was designed to collapse, and that's what it's doing now. All the markets are crashing, and the derivatives market alone is in the quadrillions, which is much more than the total financial assets of the entire world. There is nothing left to prop up the dollar. This Ponzi scheme is at its end. What that means is that the money you have in the banks will disappear, 
everything will go to zero, and then we reset. How we do that will ultimately be up to the people. The banking cartel knows that the only way they can survive this collapse is to somehow convert everyone to an authoritarian CBDC. But without the people's trust, the banks will have problems with this. Many people will lose everything and will want nothing but justice from the old banking system. But many others will comply. Hard times are coming fast. And if we were smart, we'd prepare, let the big banks die, and create a banking system that serves we the people. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. All right, so I noticed you dropped out a little just during that, but basically it just... I have seen, I have seen that before. Yeah. Um, I dropped out. Um, and we, we could talk about this for another hour or so, this topic, but in the end, the the, the final part of that video I really liked just because he, he talks like, you know, it's, it's our choice whether we want to take on their system or a new system, which is governed by us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that um, communities and groups can transact um, with each other uh, on terms that they agree to. Um, what what this is doing is uh, imposing transactional terms. Now, humanity has um, allowed this to go on, this fractional uh, lending to go on. You know, you, you put a dollar in the bank, they'll lend $10 to someone else and make money on it and make, make a fortune. Um, and um, and it was originally immoral, and now it seems to be okay. So, I think that you know th this system of um, of usury, and I think it's that's what it's become, um, is is in its um, end days. And I think that what we're going to see is a whole lot of new systems emerge. You know, I was talking to an AI specialist in the last few days. He said, "Never before in humanity have we had com have we had computers that are smarter than the people, but in the next seven years, that's exactly what we're going to have. And um, and you know, what's humanity going to do? Well, I've, I've got far greater faith in humanity than that. Um, I've got far greater faith in our ability, our resilience, our capacity to invent and create new systems which enable us to go forward together." Now, that might sound a little bit utopian, but the people um, get rid of all these other people, these elites that want to control them, and then they reformulate. And, and that's what history tells us. That's what Ray Dalio's uh, study of economic history tells us and teaches us, that people bring an end to a system, to a cycle, and they restart it with something fresh and there's a new era of prosperity. So we need to... Um, we need to not just think about surviving. We need to think about prospering and influencing and heralding in a new era. And not everybody will do that. Only a few people will do that, and the rest will ultimately follow. Yep. I like it, Peter. I'm with you. Like, Take the white pill and um, think positively because, you know, you may, it may seem utopian, but in the end, What's better to think that you've lost or that you can win? Well, does humanity come to an end and we all end up in sl as slaves in, in chains wearing black clothes? Or does the true creative nature of humanity flourish and not tolerate oppression um, in, in the form that it's currently been dished out and has been dished out? Um, and sadly, 
these elite think they know everything, but they actually don't think the way of the common man. They don't. They um, they don't think about the cost of fuel. They don't think about the cost of uh, housing. They don't think about because they they've never had to deal with it. But every day people think about it constantly, and um, and when they think the piss has been taken out of them, they go after the elite, and that's and that's where the elite are leading themselves. Yep, yep. It's it's not but, a, like it's not a problem. So so let's raise taxes. See what happens next. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. You always hear people saying, "Oh, well, we know they're corrupt," but you know, it's it's not affecting people in that moment. But as soon as it starts to affect them in that moment, and it really starts to affect their way of life, and their children, especially their children's lives, yep. that's when yeah, that's when it all starts to happen. When you take away a parent's capacity to parent their kids, watch out. Yep. Yeah, agreed. As a parent. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got we got two more stories. We don't want to spend too much time on these because we we spent a lot of time on that last story. But there's found this an interesting story here, just in the Brisbane Times, which I read in the last week, and it's to do with Centrelink. It says Centrelink knows if you're hiding a relationship, but it's complicated. So it says Centrelink is asking police to trawl through clients' metadata and, in some circumstances, crack their passwords to find out if they're in a secret relationship. The federal government agency, scandalized by the robo-debt scheme, tried to retain direct enforcement agency abilities to search telecommunications databases in mid-2015 to ensure the success of the notorious welfare crackdown. But while it's been stripped of the ability to seek access to phone databases, Centrelink can still ask the Australian Federal Police to access metadata in cases of suspected fraud, including where tertiary students or job seekers are claiming single payments if they're in a couple. So in some cases, police will seize a person's phone and use password cracking software to read messages to determine if someone claiming to be single is actually involved in a relationship with their housemate. So this is um, this is pretty crazy stuff. Like the asking police to crack into people's phones to see if they've in a relationship with someone, and what all they need to do is suspect that they're in a relationship to do this. Yeah, well, you know, you've got this situation where um, a couple of things, you know, the mandate of the federal police is to investigate cred um, criminal activity against um, federal government uh, or, you know, the, the federation, if you like. It sounds deadly, doesn't it? <laughs> uh, and um, and so, you know, they go about their job and they've had certain restrictions um to how they do that through government legislation and regulation. Do you remember not long ago, everyone was talking about this new act about um, the government to, could access social media accounts and breach privacy to investigate? And yeah, that was Potato Head it, Dutton's um, law. Yeah, that was, uh, that's right, Potato Head Dutton. Um, they, they, they wanted to push for... Um, their right to access um, accounts and everything, and um, it was in particular related to domestic terrorism. Do you remember that domestic? Yep. I certainly do. You see the fruits yeah. of it coming in right now. Um, so now we've moved on to using this legislation for teenagers bonking each other. Yep. Okay. This is where all this leads. This it, it, it's craziness. I don't think anyone 
opposes a, a federal agency having the authority to properly investigate a serious crime against the people. I don't think I don't I don't know anyone who would oppose that, but for them to use um, legislation um, and not explain the legislation to the people, and we've become very good at doing this as a country. We, you know, these political elite people introduce these these this legislation, these regulations, and then they use it for whatever they want. So. Um, Okay, well, if you're in a relationship and you're claiming the wrong benefit, you shouldn't. That, to me, is an issue of morality. And if you get caught, sure, there's a penalty. But to proactively use private data to predict whether someone's in a relationship um, so you can bring a criminal charge against them, um, I don't know. I mean, I think we're getting, aren't we skirting the edges here? Yeah, it's it's not in the in the scheme of things. It's not something that should trigger hacking of someone's phone to find out if they're doing it. It's like we said last week with with Robin. There was a, a story um, out of Western Australia where the premier there is now setting up little roadblocks to search people's cars. You know, and that directly came from COVID, and they were saying. You know, this could be used uh, the wrong way. It's like we said this already been used the wrong way. It was used during COVID and now it's acceptable to use it this way. And it's going to keep being used for other things. This is exactly what's happening now. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it, and and this is this is the um, this is how a system ends. It 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 as I said, it it turns on itself. And um, and you take people to those far extremes, and they'll they'll bite back, and that's what the people will do to them. Yeah, eventually it may not happen really quickly. It might take a few years, but they're going to be biting back hard in other countries in the first instance because we have got things really good here yep. in comparison. Yeah, I'm looking at the US right now in the next couple of years, and I think you're going to see um, a lot of that happening. Yeah, because they've got a system where. They do stick up for their rights. Uh, well, you know, half of them do anyway. Well, I was just reading a thing about, you know, um, bankruptcies. Um, they've got Chapter 11, which gives companies 12 months to reorganise, which enables most small businesses to survive a hiccup. Whereas in Australia, we have a system that ensures 95% of small businesses don't survive the first year or two, um, and normally at the hands of banks and people like that. So, you know, they've got a they've they've developed a system in the US which was designed around the people. Um and um really the British system of uh legislation and regulation um has been an authoritarian system. Um and so um Americans understand their rights um far greater than Australians do. Yeah, yeah, they certainly do. We, <laughs> I, I look in shock at Australians um, after after listening to some of the great minds speak, and you know, you do notice that ninety nine percent of all good podcasts and journalists and all that they're all coming out of the US. 
it, pretty much everybody I listen to is from the US, and they yeah. they all speak the truth. Uh, and you just don't you don't hear it in Australia. You don't re- you hear a few of it, a bit of it in the UK, but really in Australia we're really lacking that those voices. Well, it's building up because people are beginning to realise. But in in America, they've always had to fight for their rights. Yeah. Um, and um, and they're still a hugely divided society on many fronts. But they they understand. Um, they understand the precepts of um, of personal rights, personal sovereignty, and um, and you know their right to protect themselves. Yeah, which they're trying to take away, aren't they? <laughs> um, all right. So, order gonna... of uh, of firearms or anything, but I, you know, um, the right to bear arms is a big thing in America, and um, it was stripped from the Australian people. Yeah, yeah, I, I saw a, a little. Someone had did a little meme the other day online, and it showed when countries have been stripped of their firearms, and when the government turned completely totalitarian on them within the the next sort of ten to twenty years. Uh, was it wasn't pretty sight. So I really do fear for the US to get their guns taken off them. Personally, I don't think there's any chance that that's going to happen because, no, absolutely no chance. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so the last the last story we have today is the UN seeks vast new powers for global emergencies. This is from the Epoch Times or the Epic Times, however you like to say it. Yep. So the United Nations is seeking vast new powers and stronger global governance tools to deal with the international emergencies such as pandemics and economic crises. A new UN policy brief is revealed and the Biden administration appears to support the proposal. Surprise, surprise. The plan to create an emergency platform which would involve a set of protocols activated during crises that could affect billions of people has already drawn strong concern and criticism from US policymakers. So this is basically the UN doing what the WHO is doing at the moment as well with the pandemic treaty. This will be for all crises and this specifically I'd say for global warming or whatever they want to call it this week. Um yeah, it's, it's worrying, but I haven't heard too much about it in the news apart from the Epoch Times. So I'm not sure how how much legs this has. But, yeah, what, what, do, you, what do you think of it? Oh, I think it's only a matter of time. Um, and, and it's not a matter of time. It's already happening and has been for decades that these global um, instruments, organisations, um, pack together to get what they want. Um, and... Um, you know, I've always said about signing a, a pact, a treaty with the WHO or whoever it might be, is that what what you surrender immediately is your right to make your own decisions and your right to have free thought as a country. Um, so you're assuming that you don't have the technical expertise, you don't have the scientific expertise, you don't have um, the capacity um to make your own judgments and um that maybe that there's some logic in it um for countries that are border upon border upon border like in europe um but for countries like australia we shouldn't ever think about um uh, surrendering any sovereignty um to organizations that we can't trust and they've demonstrated time and time and time again that we can't trust them so um and they've been wrong time and time and time again so you know 
thanks thanks for the offer, but let's just make our own decisions. And um, if those, you know, Australia would be isolated if it went against the global scenario anyway. Um, so they'd, they'd, you know, impose sanctions and all sorts of things against Australia if we didn't follow the global system, and nor should we ever follow the global system. And that's why we should have the capacity to be self-dependent. That's why, and we, we've got all the resources, we've got all the capacity. You know, Australia with its, um, Australia with its um, reserves of gold, you know, they say $200 trillion worth of gold is in the ground. Um, wow. Could control the global financial system. You know, there's so, there's so much that Australia has got that other people don't have. Um, there is so much that we can do to influence the globe. We can punch far harder and far bigger than what the size of our country is. Yet we we curtail to these global organisations. So I think that, um, you know, once again, the system implodes the system and the people take control of what belongs to them. Yeah, I keep, I keep saying it and you know what? I might be out by 50 years. I don't know. But guess what? The people will revolt um, because, you know, if Anthony Albanese once again um, says, yeah, we need to surrender our sovereignty um, or we need to surrender this element of our responses, well, who who the hell said that? Who, who, who wants... I don't want a country or a government that um, defers to a, to a higher authority, a global authority. I'm not interested in that. Yeah, what's the point of having a government if they're just going to take well, orders from the UN? Global, let's have a one-world government yeah. where they make decisions and we get rid of all these costs and then we won't have to raise our taxes. But that was my that was my first leanings when I saw this story. It's just one more step towards a global government. Well, that that's that's what an agenda is. That's you know we we're all aware of different agendas and um, and different things going on. It's only up to the people to stop all this happening. The people can stop this happening in Australia in a flash if they unite and work together. And that's that's why we want to build the community connect network where it, it outreaches and grows and influences across the country, so that we can stand up when we need to. And we can go down to the local politician's office with two, two, three, four, five, six, seven thousand people and say, no way. And let me tell you, politicians listen to that. Um, politicians are scared of people. Yeah. They're not scared of an email. They're not scared of a letter. They're not scared of one person showing up. But give them 10, 20, 50, 100, 1,000 people rocking up, they're scared. Yeah, I would be scared too. <laughs> Um, and that and that's where we're heading. Um, you know, I'm not trying. I'm not trying to incite. By the way, I'm not trying to say, you know, everyone revolt. I'm just saying it's going to happen naturally at the hands of these uh, leaders who think they know everything. Yep, yep. And where where can we where can the audience go to join one of these community um, groups, Peter? And well, you, you know, go online. Connect. You can go online and register your interest. Um, the standupnowaustralia.com.au website and register your interest and we'll, we'll get in touch with you. Um, there's a fortnightly meeting um, that I run every, um, every Tuesday, 
every second Tuesday. I think the next meeting is Anzac Day, actually, and we are just talking today whether we should um, not run it or whether we should, and I said, no, we, we're we going to run it. <laughs> yeah. Um, and um, and so people, different people get on that, and then from there we, we begin to build local community groups. So there's a number of groups running already. We're going to be speaking at one in Fremantle in a week or so. And um, and so, you know, we, we just want to build this capacity of the people to react and respond um, to the circumstances happening around them um, because it takes a long, long time um, to prepare these sort of networks and what we're going to do is work hard to build this fabulous network, whether it's domestically or internationally, and um, and be part of the change. Yeah, fantastic. If you can jump on that, everyone, that'd be amazing. Really want to make a change in your local area. It all starts locally. Yeah. We can't aim too high. We can't go federally. State's too high. Start in your local area. You know, just meet some new people. At the very least, you're going to meet some interesting people and create some great friendships. Yeah. I mean, look, we've we've even noticed traveling around over the last couple of years. You just we we build little communities in caravan parks. You know, we've got yeah. friends um, all around the country as a result of that, um, and um, we we've got so many great connections with so many great people um, that we never would have um, thought about getting to know. Um, you know, e- even dropping into your um, into your shop. And uh, catching up that day was was a great experience for us and an adventure for the kids and um, you know and and just having these networks is very reassuring. Um, I can tell you, as particularly as you move into tough times. Definitely, I mean, it's been one of the best things I've done is get on board with Stand Up Australia and meet you know so many different people over the last year or so. So yeah, thanks, Peter, and. Um, I love the work you guys are doing. Um, we're all, so it's been such a great time um, and I'm sure the times will only get better from here. Well, I look at it positively. We're, we're at the cutting edge. We're, um, we, we, can, we can create the new look um, uh, or, or, or bring in a new era um, for all people. And um, why not? Let's go for it. All right. And, I don't care if the solution finally comes from a different source as long as we're part of the change. Yeah. And on that positive but, note. And, man, appreciate it. Uh, we love your podcasts and um, uh, we know it's hard work for you and uh, and we just appreciate your commitment. It's it's good fun. I, I love I love doing it and I, I, I make time for it. So, um Pretty busy at the moment, but um, it's it's Did great it. to it's great to sort of decompress and talk about talk about the issues rather than just um, going over them in your head endlessly. So yeah, it's I feel pretty honoured to have the opportunity to do that. So, and I'll be here again next week. I'm not sure who with at the moment, but um, we'll let you know uh, when it happens. We'll, we'll get we'll get better at forward planning eventually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I think. Got in your way that last week, didn't they, or something? Yeah. A, a cyclone and some technical issues, but um, we we got there in the end. So good on yep. you. Thanks, Pete. Thanks, mate. <laughs> See ya. See Bye. Ya.